Welcome to the Gingsburg Podcast. After today's message, take a sec and download the Gingsburg app. It's the best way to find out about and engage with what's happening at Gingsburg. We hope the following message helps you activate your faith and take the next step with your journey with Jesus. Good morning, friends. I greet you in the name of Jesus this morning. I want to begin with a question. Has anyone started their marathon of Christmas movies yet? I know in asking that, some of you have been watching Hallmark Christmas movies all year round. What is your favorite Christmas movie that you like to watch year after year? If you're online this morning, I invite you to go ahead and put that in the chat. If you are in person, if you'll turn towards someone close to you and just share your favorite Christmas movie that you've got to see this year, go ahead and do that. Okay, did anybody say Elf? Home Alone? Miracle on 34th Street? It's a Wonderful Life? The Christmas Story? One movie that is shown year after year these days is National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation that we're focusing on today. If you watch that this year as your pastor, I want to recommend the edited for television version <laughs> with the toned down language. But the movie stars as the main patriarch, the father figure, Clark Griswold, and he is determined that he is going to have the best Christmas ever. If his family just follows all the traditions and go through all the right steps, it will be the best Christmas they've ever had. And he's going to do it even if it kills him, and it almost does, right? And this movie, for those who've seen it, will remember, it is literally a spiral into insanity. If anything could go wrong, it does go wrong. Clark goes out to try to find the perfect Christmas tree. His family warns it's too big, but he says, oh no, and he just crunches it into the front room and that's a disaster. He attempts to decorate the house with 25,000 Christmas lights and falls off the ladder. He cremates the turkey, gets locked in the basement, all while dealing with a wacky family hypercritical in-laws, complaining teens, right? A penniless cousin and a confused aunt who shows up for the party with a jello mold that contains cat food in it. Anything that can go wrong does go wrong. The Griswold motto is, if we just go through the right routines, we will have the most beautiful Christmas because it's the most wonderful time of the year. Keep your day job, Pastor Dennis. <laughs> they lose all sense of the real meaning of Christmas as they go through the motions. Now, I want to just pause right here and say something about your pastor, that your pastor is not uh, 
hypercritical about the secular side of Christmas. In fact, I love the traditions of Christmas. I love all the smells and the bells. I love the stories of Christmas, and we're gonna be sharing some of those stories and relating it to the true story. I mean, I can even put up with a barking dog version of Jingle Bells once in a while, and Alvin and the Chipmunks singing about hula hoops. <laughs> but I think that the Griswold family is a microcosm of our society and our lives. That the focus is just all on the externals and we can go through all the externals year after year. Here we go again and we miss the miracle of Christmas. And so starting today, going through the next several weeks, we're gonna be sharing some of these fun stories but we're gonna be telling the real story, again, of why we gather, the real story of the Christ born in Bethlehem and read about the miracle and meaning of Christmas, what it's all about. And so today I wanna invite you, if you have your Bibles either on you or you have a phone with a Bible app, to turn to the New Testament book of Galatians. It's a letter in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, writing around 50 AD, about 20 years after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus to a group of Christians who lived in the central region of Asia Minor called Galatia. He has a special word for them this area today is the area of modern-day Turkey, and he writes this about the birth of our Lord, Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 to 7. Hear these words from the New Revised Standard today. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order to redeem those who were under the law so we might receive adoption as children. And because you are children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a child. And if a child, then also an heir through God. I wanna share three simple things today about the true meaning of Christmas and what we can learn today from this text out of Galatians chapter 4. First of all, Christmas is about waiting and anticipation. Christmas is about waiting and anticipation. Oh, we don't like to wait. We are a people who don't like to wait. In fact, Advent doesn't even start until next Sunday. Some of you check that out on your calendar. You're saying, well, you're starting the Christmas series a week early. Yeah, Pastor Dennis doesn't like to wait. <laughs> but we are an anxious people. We hate to wait. We are a people who run up escalators. We stand in front of our microwaves and we yell, hurry up, get to it. The people of the Bible were just like us. They hated to wait. And for 400 years, they had been looking forward. They had been waiting. This promised Messiah, this Savior, this King would show up on the scene. 
And certainly they wondered if it was ever going to happen. People had talked about it for years, that this Messiah was coming. That's what they always said. But they were in a season of waiting. But finally, the waiting ended. And that's what Paul is saying here in Galatians chapter 4. He says, at just the right time. Another translation, at just a set time. Our translation for today, in the fullness of time, God showed up on the scene. Now, what we need to note is that the people of that day had no idea it was the fullness of time. They thought it was just a crazy time. Now think about Mary. She had no idea of the magnitude of what was going on, what God was doing. All she could see was that she was pregnant out of wedlock. All she could see was that she was going to have to go south 80 miles to a town that wasn't her hometown and have a baby. All she could see was her mother was not going to be with her in the delivery, that her sisters were not going to be. This is not the way it should be with your firstborn son. And what did Joseph know about delivery? And going or hanging around his family in Bethlehem in this strange town? That's what she knew. She saw chaos. She saw an oppressive Roman government raising taxes on them. How could God be involved? It was the worst possible time in her life to have a baby. Can you imagine? It would be like having a baby in Gaza City, Palestine today. What chance does a child have to be born into that kind of chaos? All Mary could see was problems. But what you need to know is that she could only see one small piece of the puzzle. That God was at work behind the scenes. God was orchestrating history leading up to this monumental moment that would take place in the birth of this child who would be known as the savior of the world. See, what Mary did not know is that centuries before, there was a prophet named Micah who said in the fifth chapter, from you, Bethlehem, shall come forth one to be ruler of Israel. Here's the problem. Mary didn't live in Bethlehem. Mary lives in Nazareth. Again, as I said before, 80 miles away. Now, we think that's just a couple hour drive. On Interstate 75, the way some of you drive, it may just be an hour drive, right? But 80 miles was a 10 day journey. It takes about six days in car if you just keep on going to make it across the United States. So this was a foreign place. This was a long distance away. Bethlehem was halfway around the world to her, a 10-day journey. How's this going to happen? Well, see, what was happening behind the scenes is that Rome was facing its own fiscal cliff. They could not fund the Roman war machine. They could not fund the military. And so they had to raise taxes. You can just hear an ancient Rush Limbaugh or an ancient Tucker Carlson say, I told you so, the government's going to raise taxes again. 
all this was taking place that moved this family at just the right time in the fullness of time, 80 miles south. So Caesar was simply the cab driver delivering this couple to the right place at the right time to coincide with prophecy, to coincide with this delivery. In the fullness of time, God sent his son. Underline that in your Bible or in your mind, that little phrase. That's our key for today. The fullness of time. Why else, Pastor Dennis, was this the fullness of time? Well, we have a baby, the savior of the world. We have a message to the world. But how are we going to spread that message? Just a couple hundred years before this birth, the ancient world was a quilt patchwork of languages. People could not communicate across the ancient Near East. Every tribe spoke their own language. But then came a guy that we call in history Alexander the Great, who conquered this ancient region, this ancient world, and he had such a big ego that he demanded that all business in the empire be done in one language, his own, which was what class? It was Greek. And so they had, by the time of the first century, for the first time, a worldwide, at least as they knew worldwide, language, a common language, Greek. Now, people still spoke their tribal languages. People in Israel still spoke Aramaic at the time, but there was a business language, just like in much of the 20th century into the 21st century, English in many parts is a business language, although people speak all kinds of different languages. And so this was the first time the New Testament, therefore, was written in this business language. It was written in Greek. And so when the writers could write this letter in Galatia, it could also be read in Egypt. It could also be read in Rome. Why was it the fullness of time? Because in the first time of history, there was a common language. Do you get it? Greek. So you've got a language, you've got a message, but how are you going to get the message out? I mean, they didn't have email, right? Well, what was Rome famous for? History, World History 101. One thing it was famous for was roads, paved roads. The Romans built a highway system to carry their armies throughout the empire. And by the time of the first century, people could travel throughout the empire because of Rome. And if you have roads, you also need security. You also need to be able to travel. How can someone travel if there are wars or rumors of wars, right? But the Romans, with all the destruction they brought, they also brought stability. And so for the first time, there was roads. It was called the Pax Romato. It was a time of security brought by Rome. And then, if you're going to have an effective missionary movement, anyone in business will tell you, if you're spreading this message out, you need distribution points. 
Bingo, this was also the time by the first century of the Jewish diaspora, which was a spreading out of the Jewish people by the first century. And by the time that the message went out, there was a synagogue in nearly every major city in the Roman Empire. So when the Apostle Paul, who was also a Roman citizen and a Jew, when he traveled freely, he could go first into a synagogue with John Mark, with Barnabas, with Silas, and they could present to this place, and it was a launching pad into all these cities. There's, it's no accident that the Apostle Paul says, in the fullness of time. It was the fullness of time. God was working can you see the supernatural hand of God? Mary had no clue that all this was happening. She just said, my world is in chaos. When, God, are you going to move? And she didn't see the whole picture of the puzzle. In the set time, God brought forth his son. Some of you are in a season of waiting. Some of you are in a season of worry. You've got people on your mind and you are saying, how long, Lord? How long? Some of you are waiting and hoping for a child to be born, but nature is not cooperating. Some of you grandparents are waiting for a child to be born. Others of you are in a season of waiting for a job. You've been unemployed and you're wondering, will I have that job in 2024, will I have that job next year? Or some of you are worried that you may not have a job and you're in a season of waiting, you may lose your job. Some of you are in a season of waiting for a prodigal son or daughter to come home. You're saying, how long, Lord, and you're waiting. Some of you are waiting for test results. You've just had a biopsy and you're going to hear in about six days what the test results will be and you're in a season of waiting. Others of you have been told you're going to have surgery after the new year and this is an anxious time because you're in a season of waiting. Some of you are in other seasons of waiting. You're waiting for someone to say, I love you. You're waiting to hear someone say, I forgive you. Some of you are waiting for the Cleveland Browns to win the Super Bowl. May not happen. You're in a long season there. Now we're waiting for the Buckeyes to win against Michigan, some of us, right? It's a season of waiting. You need to know that in your waiting, you're only seeing a tiny piece of the puzzle. That God is working. Amen? In the fullness of time, God will bring forth the answer. Trust him. Don't give up. Believe him. Secondly, Christmas is not only a time of waiting, but it's also a time to realize that it's not about us, it's about God. Christmas is not about us. It's about what God is doing. Again, look at this verse. In the fullness of time, who? You? No. God. God sent forth his son. Now, let me ask you a question. What role did you play in that? 
What was your part in that, that God sent forth his son at the fullness of time? Nothing. Nada. Zilch. It wasn't God did God's part and you did your part over here. No. It was all God. God in Christ, the Bible says, was reconciling the world to himself. Before you were born, before you were a sparkle in your mother's eye, even before Mary was aware, God was orchestrating things. God was at work. And so salvation is all about God. And Christmas can only be experienced from a place of humility. It's not our birthday. Have you ever heard that in these walls here? It's Jesus' birthday. And so we just are part of the grand drama of it all. We get to experience the fallout and the blessing of it all. But it's what God is doing. Clark Griswold thought he could control things that he could make Christmas be what it could be if he just went through the right rituals in motion. But the truth of the matter is that Clark Griswold had to resign his place as the general superintendent of the universe and just let it happen or he would miss the miracle. Christmas is about God. It's not about us. Praise the Lord, we get to join what God is doing. And finally this, Christmas is about hope and about possibility. And that's our theme not only today, but all through the next several weeks. We have this song coming out a little over a week from now. Hope is here. Christmas is about hope. Christmas is not about who we are presently, but who we can become. What makes this movie so hilarious is that Clark has this ideal of what Christmas should be, this perfect image, mostly nostalgia and traditions, but it contrasts from the reality of the disaster of what is, which is a spiral into insanity how the family's actually living in the real world with real relatives that get on your nerves with things that are falling apart. And so there's the Hallmark Christmas and then there's the real Christmas that we really live. There's the me I dream to be and then there's the real me that's like Clark, that's shallow, that's anxious, that's full of fear, that's selfish, that's greedy. Henry Nouwen, that great theologian of the 20th century, said, between who I am and who I want to be lies a great desert. Years ago, when the newspaper column, Dear Abby, was at the forefront of the American culture, she put out an article about Christmas letters and how often in Christmas letters, now some of us don't send those anymore, Christmas cards, but it was very popular even 20 years ago. We would sometimes project the best of us, the us we want to be or put ourselves out a little better than what we really are so people will love us and accept us. And she wrote about these letters and called them brag letters. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? 
And here's one she shared. Listen to this. I think you'll enjoy this. Here's one she found. Dear friends, what a year. Jim was named vice president of the bank. We celebrated by buying a Mercedes and flying off to the Orient. Sound like your family? <laughs> In addition to his Boy Scout work, Jim was co-chairman of the United Fund Drive. He continues on the board of Grace Hospital and is the treasurer of the Rotary. His first love, however, is conservation. He is heading up the committee to find Dutch elm disease. After completing my term as the junior league president, I swore I'd take life easy, but I'm more involved than ever. I've accepted the vice presidency of the garden club. I also ran the bake sale for the Eastern Star again, and we made $680. I also squeezed a flower arranging class offered by a Japanese exchange student. All this with my leg in a cast. Dumb me, I fell off the ladder while hanging curtains at the homeless shelter. Now, someone got ticked off by reading that, and so they wanted to share their own letter of how it really is for them. They wrote this, dear friends, we've had a rotten year. Bill was passed over for a promotion again, so he quit his job. He hasn't lined up anything yet. He's listed with the unemployment agencies. He looks at the one ads every day. In the meantime, he's drinking like a fish. <laughs> God sent his son into a world like that, to the real world here in the Miami Valley, to a world of pain. You see, beyond the figgy pudding, beyond the glow-in-the-dark Santa, beyond the eggnog, there's a lot of pain. There's a lot of hurting. There's a lot of wonder. There's a lot of waiting. God sent his son into that world. Let me hear it myself and let you hear these words again. In the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the curse of the law, that we might be called the children of God. That we might redeem those under the curse of the law. The word redeem literally means to rescue. It means to save. The truth of the matter is that Christmas is for losers. It's for the Clark Griswolds of the world. It's for the Dennis Millers of the world. <laughs> Christmas is for you. As well. The movie peaks on Christmas Eve. Things can be made right with all the disaster as long as Clark gets his bonus check. Every year he gets this bonus check and he's looking for it and he's in his mind spinning in a million ways, but especially he wants to pay for an in ground swimming pool. So we have this dramatic scene where they're all in the front room and a mail courier shows up. And it's his bonus, it's his check, it's his Christmas desire. He says some words, he burns some bridges, and he opens it up. And to his dismay, before he goes off, he finds out that it's simply a year subscription, subscription to the Jelly Club. It's disaster. 
That's not the end of the movie. The movie ends with a star on the horizon. The movie ends with hope. Your story is not over yet. A chapter may have ended, but there's a next chapter. You can only see part of the bigger picture. And you might be asking today, how long, Lord? I don't see it. You might be looking through the lens of Mary today. All you may be seeing is chaos, as Clark was seeing it. But as hope was found in a star of Bethlehem, God is bringing new hope to us today. If we'll believe, if we'll trust, if we'll journey with Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem this year. Lord, I thank you that our story is still being written today. And I thank you that you have come into a real world of pain. We come to you, Lord, as you love us enough that you come crawling to us on your hands and feet as a baby. We ask today that in this baby, we can see not only our hope, but hope for the world. In just the right time, Lord, which it can even be today, would you bring forth your son to us. For this is our prayer. And we pray it now in Jesus' name. Amen. you enjoyed today's message. I've got two invitations for you before you go. First, subscribe to our podcast so it shows up in your feed every week. And if today's message inspired you and you would like more people to hear it, you can give a financial gift through the Gingosburg app or online at gingosburg.org.